0: Good evening, and welcome to the Matthew Danko Podcast. Don't call it that. I'm your host, Matthew, the Dr. Danko. It's been a while since I've done this show, or recorded any podcasts in general. I've been toying around with the idea of doing um, something a little bit more original. For those who have listened before, They know that I usually talk about a few things like Doctor Who or Kevin Smith or Batman pretty heavily. Um, Evil Dead, definitely. I mean, I had Ash Wednesdays, which only consisted of a few episodes. I I think this is even the ninth podcast, so it's not even like I've been doing this for so long. I've kind of fallen in and out of it over the course of, I guess, a year and that sucks, because I really enjoy podcasting. The thing is, I, I usually, usually it's because I don't have the time to sit down and actually record it, but yet, I do. I kind of, I'm a big time waster, so, like, I'll sit down and, you know, have all these things I really want to do, or create, or, or start making, and, I don't do it because it's so easy to just click on Facebook or click on Netflix. And, I mean, we all have that problem where we just... Sometimes we just don't want to create. We don't want to entertain. We just want to be entertained. And uh, you binge-watching The Office for nine seasons straight, it's just... It takes away from all that that creativity. I mean... No offense. For some people, that actually fuels their creativity. They are able to bounce the ideas from things they see and develop it into a completely original idea. But for me, that's kind of my kryptonite. I can sit down and put something on that I've seen before. Like The Office, I, I, I've i seen numerous times. It's not the first time that I've sat down and, and binge-watched it. But I'm already on Season 8, and I've only started it, you know, maybe a day or two ago. And the thing is, I'll be watching it, but not really watching it. Like, it'll be on in the background, and I, or I'll get up and let it run, and then I'll come back and not really miss anything. And it's just because I am my own worst enemy when it comes to being creative, or creating at all, because I have so many ideas, and so many things that I want to do, but I'm keeping myself from them for no particular important reason. I have all this time to sit down and actually do these things, and I'm just, I'm, I'm wasting it. And it's my own damn fault. But aside from all that, the original idea that I was talking about, which isn't that original, is the idea I would have for these podcasts to give them more of a structure is to actually sit down, you know, start the podcast, maybe fill you guys in on some shit that's happened, or, or whatever, maybe pull up a news article that's related to one of the four previously mentioned topics, and then the whole episode would be kind of just a commentary track that's the only way that I can actually sit down, not do anything, and still be doing something at the same time, which sounds completely lazy, and it is. I'm not even doing, like, the commentary track of a short film that I've made, which haven't been many, but, like, I'm gonna, I I think what would be cool is to sit down, pop in, you know, Man of Steel or uh, Dogma, and just sit there and talk about it, talk about what, you know, the movie does for me personally, and maybe have a few guests come in, because I've talked to a lot of people about podcasting, and it's a really cool idea. The only reason I have a podcast, which, again, is nine episodes, is because it started off in a blog that I used to have on Google, and that was before I knew how to actually upload it to a site and have them facilitate it for iTunes so you could download it. So I would, you know, type out like kind of a synopsis of what I would talk about in, on the podcast, whereas I called it then the blogcast. And it, then there would be a a YouTube video which would just be a static picture and it would be the audio track. So it was kind of a podcast, but it was also a, a blog as well and then I got lazy, and instead of recording podcasts, I would just type out the blog, which was fine, because it was a blog and podcast type thing, but again, it was just facilitating, it was making my laziness even easier, which I guess is just my, it's my only talent, is to make, make things easier, and make less work for myself, um, I just, I, I, the only reason I do podcasts is also because I'm a big follower of Kevin Smith, and he has the Smodcast Network, so all of his shows are on there, and I just, so instead of, you know, li- just being forced to listen to Silence or the radio, um, I would tune into his podcasts and just let them play, and now I've I've been doing that for probably two years now, and... That's awesome. I mean, I since I'm always I'm always in the car, or if I go up to see Jesse in Syracuse, that's like five and a half hours that I just put on. There's like five podcasts I can listen to in that amount of time, and all about my favorite director, and you know they it they make me laugh. So whether you're listening to this in your car on your way to work, which I highly doubt, or you're just checking in to see what interesting things i have to say but what i hope to accomplish with this podcast and all future podcasts which i hope to do at the very very least once a week because i think i can i can at least do that in the beginning it was one monday tuesday wednesday thursday and friday like that was going to be my schedule on wednesdays it would be ash wednesday where we talk about evil dead movie monday which would kind of be something like this where i'd tell you about the movies i've seen over the weekend. And so on and so forth. Each day would have its own thing. And I was like, that's going to be hectic. I'm not going to be able to cut up all those podcasts. I'll just condense it maybe Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday and Friday because that way you get maybe like Fridays all about the week before and Wednesday's still Ash Wednesday because I still think that's a great idea because I don't think a lot of people talk about Evil Dead as much anymore and it's there's so much about it that's just fantastic and relevant to a lot of my friends who are filmmakers themselves and that's one of the cornerstones of independent films or or just just the art of cinema and I'm not the cinema guy that can you know dissect all of the parts of a movie and and give you this well thought out eloquent speech on the cinematography there are kids that can do that and that's like their talent they're just really smart kids I'm not that smart I'm very lazy so when I watch a movie it kind of just washes over me I mean sometimes the more I watch it the more I get into it or if I'm really interested in the subject matter and I've gone the extra step to do the documentary and special features and stuff which is another aspect of film that I love then I'll be able to talk about it more, but typically, I'm, I mean, I'm supposedly a cinema major, and yet I haven't seen any of the Oscar nominees. Um, yeah, so I apologize for all those diehard cinema fans that do that sort of thing, and I'm not knocking it at all, because that's just what you're passionate about, and I, I, I wish I could be like that, but again, I'm lazy, and I'd rather watch Clerks for the umpteenth time than... But that's just me. I, again, I'm not trying to offend anyone here. I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm a lazy individual. And hopefully, this laziness will eventually turn something into something else. And these commentary tracks that I plan on doing will, I don't know, maybe invite you into my head a little bit because... For those of you who've met me, I'm not really that outgoing of a guy. I can be outgoing like the fifth time you've met me and I'm in a comfortable environment, but I'm a really quiet guy. I'm quiet and I'm lazy and I don't I don't I don't know, those are just qualities, facts, if you will. Um so anyways, I'm rambling here before I get into the commentary track which I don't even know what movie something that a lot of people might might have already seen that way you kind of already know the story and then you can choose to listen to me ramble on about it about my thoughts and all that or you can just turn me off and watch a good movie again either way but before I get into all that um, recently I just got back from uh, New York City my girlfriend had a few auditions up there and so I tagged along Um, and it's, it's only the second time I've been to the actual city, but it's friggin' awesome. (laughs) Um, I, you know, donned my Tenth Doctor camel-colored trench coat and rocked the blue suit. Um, because it's just a cool thing, it's kind of, it's cosplay, but it's comfortable cosplay. Like, I'm not walking around New York City with... Master Chief's helmet on, getting strange looks and suspicious ones from police officers. I'm dressed as a normal individual, who's professional, but I have a sonic screwdriver in my pocket. And yes, I am happy to see you. Um, because there are so many. First of all, New York is a is a lively place. There's so much going on throughout the city. There's almost too much going on. Is to if you're not if you're not sure of what you're doing you can almost get lost. That's kind of how it is up there. Um, and believe me, as somebody who's barely left Baldwin, I I can say that that's a pretty... It's still just a super lively place. So yeah, you go up there and, and you cosplay because that's just something to do. It's something you can... It's, again, a lazy thing to do. You can just... Putting on clothes is doing something that's what cosplay is, it's just putting on clothes, but it's another thing to actually become the character that you're cosplaying, so when I'm dressed as the Doctor, which is the easiest thing, the easiest cosplay costume that I have, because again, it's just, it's really, it's just a suit and some converse, but that's if you're going as the 10th Doctor. Sorry for non-Doctor Who fans that are listening, it's just, It's an interesting thing that I'm trying to get across here. Um, Because New York's such a lively place, and there's so many people from all over the world there, you have a lot of interests flowing, and I found that a lot of Doctor Who fans will come up to you and ask to take your picture, because even though, to the rest of the world, you look like a normal guy wearing a suit with Converse's, um, to a Doctor Who fan... They know exactly what you're doing. And then, what I like to do is I pull out my sonic screwdriver, and that answers all their questions. Then you get to take a picture with some random stranger on the street because they recognize you from something that you just like. Not even that you were in the show and you're just out and about. It's just an expression of your interests. And to wear them literally on your sleeves is something that's appreciated among fandoms. Also, It was Valentine's Day, right before we went up. We kind of planned it out that way a little bit to try to be in New York City for Valentine's Day. Um, And one of the greatest gifts that I got was The Joker, Death of the Family. It's a storyline in the New 52 universe. It didn't come out that long ago. I think it's like six... Six or seven issues. Um, And it's fantastic. For all of you Bat fans... After a year-long absence... The Joker makes a shocking return to Gotham City... In this major crossover event. Believing the Bat family... Has weakened his beloved Dark Knight. The Clown Prince makes it his mission... To eliminate Batman's closest allies... Targeting them one by one... In this most deranged crime spree yet. The Joker... Death of the Family collects the Joker's reign of terror from the pages of Batman, Batman Detective Comics, Batman and Robin, Batgirl, Suicide Squad, Nightwing, Red Hood and the Outlaws, Teen Titans, and Catwoman. So basically, not only do you get a sweet Batman and Joker story, but you get all of the Bat family as well. Kind of, they say a crossover event because, I, again, I, I'm not I've only kind of just gotten into comic books, so I haven't been following, like, the single issues monthly. But from what I understand, all of these different stories, when they were released as single issues, were probably released under those respective titles, like Batman Detective Comics, Batman and Robin Batgirl. Because they work as single stories, but they all add up to the main story of the Joker because we went up for Valentine's Day but there was so much snow that our buses were cancelled and so I got this Saturday night and I just couldn't I, almost, I couldn't put it down because it was just so fantastic essentially what the actual story is about um, he was Batman's greatest enemy matching his chaotic madness against Batman's stony calculation a clown prince to his dark knight Four years, they danced the same dance, until one year ago, the Joker disappeared completely. Gotham's greatest foe limped off with the skin shorn from his evil, smiling face, and ever since, the city has been free. As the months passed, Batman and his family of crime-fighting allies began to hope the grinning psychopath would never return. But, in truth, the Joker was readying his most demented attack yet. Now that he's back, the Joker is gunning for the Dark Knight's greatest weakness, his family. All Batman's closest friends and associates are targets. Robin, Nightwing, Red Robin, Batgirl, the Red Hood. Even Joker's former ally, Harley Quinn, will be cast in his comedy of terrors. The Joker has shed his skin, and what's underneath is even deadlier. Now, while that may sound like a metaphor, shedding his skin, he literally rips his face off. He cuts his face off of his face... And wears it as a mask. Because why? Because the Joker is a fucked up individual. But anyway, this this was just a lovely Valentine's Day gift. And (laughs) with how demented the character of the Joker is, if you know me, you know how much I love the character, but love Batman even more. And this was just the perfect gift. So for all my listeners, I would just like to mention Jesse Pardee, my girlfriend, got me this. So thank you, darling, and yeah. So enough of that. Um, the story itself is really good to anyone who likes the Joker, and I am a comic book person. I've just started liking comics, so I haven't read everything that's been out there. I've read a lot of the key issues, like The Dark Knight Returns, as you might have heard in another podcast, and Batman, rest in peace, and death in the family, which is the Jason Todd Robin death story also involving the Joker. But yeah, so I, I've, I'm I've a big Batman fan, and this was a wonderful Batman story. But the fact that it's more about the Joker psychology makes it even more interesting. But yeah, the fact that he, he cuts off his face to show who he really is. Like the Joker mask, which like his white complexion that was just his last human quality left he felt he felt that was only the only thing connecting him to being human was that face so what it did was he cut it off and then puts it on as a mask like i'm not really human but i'm pretending to be and the whole like he even he puts rubber bands around the mouth to give it that grin like he rubber bands it around his ears just so it has that grin, and at one point he flips it on upside down and makes a comment about flipping a frown upside. It's like, dude, this guy is fucked up. And then you really get into his head, and the Batman. Oh man, it's just it's such a good story. Yeah, just so so many good turns and and so many great Joker monologues. That's one of the things I love about the Joker. And and I think a lot of villains do it, but the Joker is probably one of my favorites that does, is the monologue. Um, anyone who's ever seen Bond knows the villain does a monologue, and, and the Joker, because of how insane he is, and how smart he is, it makes his monologues creepy. Creepier. I mean, not only are they coming out of a clown's mouth, but this is a psychopath that realizes how insane he actually is and is pretty okay with it. He's so okay with it that he he gets a kick out of it. And he's always trying to make not people laugh. I mean, he's a clown and all, but that's just like what he looks like. He he wants to make Batman laugh. And the fact that Batman will never laugh Kind of drives him nuts, and and the thing about this story, as I've read in the synopsis and and stuff, is that he believes the Joker believes that Batman, his greatest foe, Batman, his greatest adversary, is is weak. He's weakened by his Bat family, by his connections to Batgirl, and Robin, Red Hood, and all these characters. That in order for Batman to stay Batman and become even stronger, that he must that the Joker must bring down this Bat family, take away all those connex- connections, and therefore make him a greater hero. So he's doing it for Batman, in a sense, because he thinks that's what should be done. And while he thinks his motives are, motives are just, obviously, killing and and. All of that is just psychotic, and that's what's so great about the character. And re- and recently, I mean, tonight even, I just watched Necessary Evil, Super Villains of DC Comics, which I got from the Batman Arkham Origins Collector's Edition that came with it, and it just it talks so much about all the villains of DC Comics, but again, they do spend a lot of time on the Joker, and the Joker and Batman dynamic has always been my favorite. And they brought up the point in the the documentary that, like, you'll have, like, the Penguin, you'll have the Riddler, um, Catwoman. Like, Catwoman challenges Batman's, like, sexual side. They said the Penguin was, like, a mocking of what Bruce Wayne's status is in Gotham City. Like, he's a philanthropist and, and the penguin kind of wants to be that big guy on top and then you have the joker who is lit is not like the clown and the bat aren't opposites in nature but you have this man who's so psychotic and deranged doing what he's doing because he thinks he should and are doing it just to do it because i mean as they said in the dark knight he's just a dog chasing cars and wouldn't know what to do if he caught one he's just doing things and is is scaring everyone in his path because of how psychotic he is and then you have batman who in our eye i mean he's the hero of course but in our eyes he's he's fighting for justice he's doing what he's doing because he has to do it to avenge his parents death um and and putting the fear in criminals when in re- he's literally, he's just a guy in a, in a mask, and so there's some level of connection between Batman and the Joker, right there, that is just, it's so interesting, and of course, because Batman's all about justice, if you watch any, like the Batman, the animated series, which is one of my favorite, um, portrayals of Batman ever, apart from, uh, like, some key issues of the comics, and I say key issues, because those are the only ones I've read, not counting the Chronicles of, like, Batman... Or, Detectives 27 through 38. I bought this Batman Chronicles book, which is, like, Detective Comics number 27, which is Batman's first appearance, through Detective Comics 38, and then Batman number 1, where he gets his own issue. Those are the only ones outside of the key issues that I've read, and I haven't even read all of the key issues, but, like, I'm slowly building up the collection. So, yeah, the Batman and then the Joker dynamic will always be my favorite favorite thing ever because of just there's so much to each character and that's th- that's another thing is that they've been around since the f- before the 50s maybe 47 I don't know correct me if I'm wrong tweet in if I if I'm wrong but they've been around for a long-ass time and then they were rebooted with the new 52 not so long ago And so there's so many stories. They have Batgirl and Robin and all those characters, but they came out of Batman. So it's like one hero versus a thousand. I mean, there's also argument that without the hero, there can't be the villain, and without the villain, there can't be the hero. And Oh, shit, I totally got away from my point about um, the animated series and and all those cartoons. Um, If you can watch the... uh, the physical performances, and the dialogue, and, and the stories of Batman, about how straight up for justice he is, that I've always loved, how, how this man who came out of tragedy can rise up against all that, because who else will, like, there's, there's a movie on Netflix, I, I think it's still on Netflix, they might have taken it down recently, um, but, It was Justice League Doom, and while the title does suggest that it has all of the Justice League in it, my favorite part of the movie is just Batman the entire time. Basically, because he's Batman, he's like the only humanoid on the Justice League, the one that's literally just a man to physical perfection. The Justice League as a whole is protecting the world, but they're powerful they're powerful non-humans and so what happens if they all decide one day to be evil or what happens if something alters their mind where they just like that's they instead of fighting for good they're fighting on the side of evil so batman being the man that he is has contingency plans to stop them like he's like a kryptonite bullet for superman because if you if you shoot him with kryptonite it gets lodged in his chest, and they can't operate on him because none of their tools will pierce his skin. Because he's fucking Superman. So they they get around it, and I can't remember how right now, but then they have, like... It's been a while since I've seen the movie, but basically, Batman has all these ideas and plans in his Batcomputer on how to take down the Justice League if one of them becomes too powerful, because how else are you going to do it? And what happens is, a villain gets into the Batcave, and... Steals all of them. Gives them out to this, what what I'll call the League of Shitters. Not to borrow from Kevin Smith, but they are little shitheads. Each one of their respective counterparts. But in this instance, Joker isn't Batman's counterpart. It's, I forget who. But they basically all go after their weaknesses. and And then the Justice League is pissed off at Batman. Like, why the hell would you have all of our plans like they basically kick him out of the Justice League like and Batman's cool with it because he's like you know we're in charge of protecting this planet but we can be too powerful for our own good so yes and I'm not apologizing for having all these plans and then I think it's Wonder Woman who's super pissed because she's like what happens if you become too like what the fuck dude what happens if you're Deciding to become evil. Because you have all of our weaknesses. Like, that right there is enough to prove, to me at least, that you would do something. You could potentially do something to hurt us and take over. And he's like, well, no, because I have the Justice League. The Justice League, like, that's his line. He's like, I have the Justice League. Because he's the only human in the Justice League. So they would never let him become that powerful they they would be what's stopping him yeah so that was new york <laughs> okay um let's move on all right guys um so here's here's my plan um basically i would like to continue doing these podcasts as, like, commentary tracks. Um, In the beginning, there'll be some intros, you know, to update you on things. Talk about, again, the Batman, the Kevin Smith, um, Evil Dead, and... And Doctor Who. Wow. I can't believe... I forgot that. But basically... That'll be the first half, and then the second half will get into the commentary track. Now it's exactly what it sounds like. I'm going to choose a movie for the episode, and I'll tell you when you can, you know, hit play so you can sync it up and follow along. Um, I'll be watching the movie on silent, you know, so we can just hear my audio instead of the movie, and I don't get, you know, copyright um infringement violations and all that shit so essentially the only difference between this commentary track and the one you would find in the special features is that I have absolutely no connection to the movie other than that I dig it Um, any movie I choose uh, perhaps you guys will be if I have a following you guys will uh, choose the movie but for right now we'll have dealer choose dealer choice and yeah, so on tonight's list we have *A Nightmare on Elm Street*, the original, because Robert Englund's the only one I feel comfortable enough to have portray to have portrayed Freddy Krueger. Um, if you've seen the remake, um, I'm sorry, it, it wasn't it wasn't a terrible movie, but there's a lot that I felt was wrong with that movie. Like with any movie, I guess. There's always going to be flaws, and it's not going to appeal to everyone. Um, And Jackie uh, Earl Haley, I believe is the guy's name, that portrayed Freddy, uh, you might have seen him as uh, Rorschach in The Watchmen. Or a number of other things. I I don't have his IMDb page up to tell you all the things he's been in, but he did a good he did a good job. It was just weird not having Freddy in it. And as a horror movie fan, one of my biggest things about horror movies is that I love when the effects are practical. Um, so all throughout the original Freddy's now there are obviously some like cgi special effects but a lot of it is like a lot of the actual effects are you know puppets and and latex animatronics and stuff like that which i just love completely so that's what this that's probably the majority of the what i'm going to talk about in this one but in the remake, they did a, they did good with you know the the dream sequences. The the one scene that I love the most is when spoilers if you haven't seen the Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 remake um, is that when they're in the grocery store or like Walgreens or whatever it is, the main girl the the Nancy character. Um, she's in between sleeping and reality, I think. Or she fell asleep in the car or something. God, it's been so long since I've seen that. And it's only 2014. But basically, the song that's playing on the overhead speaker in the grocery store is Dream... Dream, dream, dream. That song, um, just... And it's flipping back and forth between the grocery store and the, uh the dream world so it's like i think it's the uh lighting in the grocery store the fluorescent bulbs are like dimming in and out so it'll cut between the boiler room and freddie will be running his blades along like this pipe and then scrape them off and then it'll cut to the grocery store where she's on the ground uh, like the tile floor And then there's shit falling off the shelves. And it's just, it's a really cool scene. And I'm not saying that's the only part that's good. It's just, I I really, I didn't like, I didn't like the movie. Uh, What I did like, um, and this is a fun fact, is that there's one character in that movie that, what was his name? Jason Yu? Shit, I should have. We have the internet at our fingertips and I can't I I just um give me a second here. Um he makes a small appearance. Well, side note while I'm looking that up, the fact that her name wasn't Nancy Thompson pissed me off. I know it's a really nitpicky thing, and I'm not, like I said, the cinema guy. I also don't like... I mean, it's kind of become a thing where people disparage and rip apart remakes of movies because they're like, Why touch the original? It was sacred. And that's true. I mean, if somebody... And I'm sure it'll happen. If somebody remakes Back to the Future... It's going to be a little weird. I'm not going to be fully on board. I'll probably won't be one of those people who are like, "Why well, I touch it. It was perfect. It was 100% all I've ever wanted in a movie. Um. Unfortunately, that's just what Hollywood is. It's It's slowly weeding out original ideas and making remakes because it's a lot easier to pitch a movie that people love then come up with an original idea. And I'm not saying that there aren't original ideas out there, or derivations from other ideas to make original ideas. There's a lot of them out there. But it just, as we all know, sequels are hard to push, but remakes are, like, sequ- sequels are easy to make, and so are remakes, because people like seeing things they've seen before. And as somebody who binge-watches The Office on Netflix more than once a year, I am probably in that crowd that likes seeing things I've already seen. But at the same time, I'll bitch about things being remade and all that. But that's not what I'm doing here. I'm just saying. Personally, I love the first one more, because you got Robert England, you got Johnny Depp, and you have all these practical special effects... They're just perfect. But anyways, the guy's name from the remake is Aaron Yu. I should have known this because he's also in the movie Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf. Now, before you go on that rant about Shia LaBeouf, I'm talking pre-Indiana Jones, pre-Transformers. Shia LaBeouf in Disturbia was good. I love that film. I haven't watched it, and I should probably do so because we'll see how that holds up today. But anyway, Aaron Yu makes an appearance in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and if you've ever seen the remake, he's the kid who is doing the video blog, and all of a sudden, like, he's... Nancy's looking him up on the computer. He went to her kindergarten, elementary school. He was one of the kids when she was tracking down like, all all of the things that happened to all the kids that used to be in her class. Um, he was the one that did the video blog, and then you'll see he's, like, afraid to fall asleep. He keeps seeing this guy in his dreams, and then all of a sudden, like, he passes out on camera, and then it looks like he slams into the camera as if Freddy gets him as soon as he falls asleep. But anyways, the reason I bring that character up, that actor, is because he's the only one that's been in both A Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. Because he was also a big character in the Friday the 13th remake. Another remake I didn't particularly care for. But, that's not what this is about. Um, It's not about all the remakes that I didn't care for. It was just another... like They're like, alright, it's been a while since we've seen a Friday the 13th movie, Friday, Freddy vs. Jason came out in 2003, I think, so, and that came out in 2009, six years, I guess, I mean, we've all seen how quick the return is on, uh, Spider-Man, I mean, it feels like they just ended that, and now they're rebooting it, or they already rebooted it, um, they're already on a sequel, mind you, but yeah, But anyways, um, I just wanted to point out that he was the character, or he was an actor that was in both of them, had a bigger part in the Friday the 13th movie, the remake, which I enjoyed a little more than the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I'm not a movie critic by any stretch of the imaginations, but it was just, it's weird because I love Freddy Krueger, the character. And Robert, and I love all of the cheesy sequels that come out of the original Nightmare on Elm Street series, but it's just the character of Freddy Krueger is so good because he can be... He's creepy, and Robert Englund brings the personality to him. With Jason Voorhees, you get a man, a big brood of a man, in a mask, slashing up teens, picking up girls in sleeping bags, and beating them against trees. Like... That's terrifying. But with Freddy, you get a little bit of personality. You can at least talk to him. And you maybe reason with him enough to not kill you. But chances are he will kill you. Unless he needs you for something. And then he'll use you up until the very last moment. And then kill you. But at least you, you know, have... And and I think from watching A Nightmare on Elm Street 6, that if you... If Freddy Krueger kills you, that you can still be alive in the dream world. I mean, I guess technically, if somebody's dreaming about you, you'll always be alive, but there was a scene that made me think that there's a little bit of an afterlife, which is very existential for a Freddy Krueger movie, but we'll get into that when I do that movie. Anyways... For now, we're going to jump into A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original version. Um, And I'm just going to talk about it, because this was one of the first movies that got me into film in general. I used to be a big puss when it came to uh, um, horror movies. The first horror movie that I've ever seen was probably Child's Play 3, or the Leprechaun movie. And because I was really young, probably six or so, um, it terrified me, because they are relatively the same height as I was when I was that old. And also, like, it it was just a terrifying concept. Toy, well, in Child's Play, a toy that this boy loves. Well, Child's Play 3, he was about 16 years old. But Andy Barkley loves this toy. And it comes alive and tries to kill him, essentially. I mean, cutting some corners on the plot, but that's essentially what it was. And I was like, I have toys. I've seen Toy Story. Now, isn't that what it's supposed to be like? Aren't they supposed to be, you know, getting kidnapped by the neighbor kid and breaking out and then becoming best friends? Isn't that what toys are supposed to do? Not pick up a kitchen knife and come after me. Because of some voodoo witch doctor, no, that's, and not only that, he was possessed by a, a the lakeshore strangler. Like, dude, that's fucking scary. And plus, the guy I was over at my friend's house when I first saw this movie. He put his his father put this movie in, or it was on television or something, and let us watch it. The kid, the my friend was only a year older than I, and I was like six or so. So no wonder I was scared. And then, of course, my grandma, being a wonderful individual, um, didn't know that I was afraid of dolls and shit like that, went to Vegas and brought me back a ventriloquist dummy, who I also should mention I was also afraid of the Goosebumps episodes Slappy, the Night of the Living Dummy. And so she accidentally didn't, didn't know, and she bought me a dummy that looks remarkably like Um, slappy. (laughs) I remember I went down and I got this huge package and my dad was, I think it was my dad who was like, open this up. And we sliced open the tape on the top of it and I like, I opened the panels of the box and these eyes are just looking up at me, and I scream my ass off. I feel like I had an out-of-body experience, where I was outside my house, and all you could hear was the scream from inside. But anyways, after facing my demons, one mid-afternoon, I popped in Child's Play, realized it wasn't that scary, and then I just went from there, and now I'm hooked on horror movies, because I I I just I like being scared, I guess. So anyways... We'll enjoy this Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I'm gonna turn down the volume, like I said, so that I don't get you know, I don't get any uh, copyright violations or anyone knocking on my door because I infringed on on somebody's rights. I, I, just, I just wanna watch the fucking movie and, and talk about it, that's all. So I guess we'll uh I'm gonna hit play. I'm sure it'll ask me like widescreen or full screen. Okay. So I'm gonna. If you're watching the original one, I'm gonna put it on zero zero right now and hit play right before the uh, new line cinema comes up. And now the volume's gonna be down and I'll just talk about it. It's not gonna be like. Mystery Science Theater, but hopefully we'll get some cool facts out of it. All right, and go uh, from New Line Cinema is up. I l- I'll always love the New Line Cinema logo, not the, that one, but anyway, I forgot the movie's starting. Okay, so you get to see Freddy Krueger pre-Freddy Krueger, which is something that you don't get a lot of in the other movies, and they tried to fix that with the new, the new one, out by putting that whole pre-segment in it about Freddy as a human well he's still a human but he's kind of a metahuman at that point the glove making scene um I actually tried to make one of those gloves my dad and I we because I like I said I love horror movies and so we got pictures and all that and found all the pieces and it was going to be great but, if you know me and how lazy I am, like I've always said, it didn't pan out well. I was him for Halloween, though. And I rocked that costume. I found... I was at Goodwill, actually, and... looking for just pieces, you know, to put together my Freddy Krueger costume. And we checked out and everything. Well, Goodwill's the per- perfect place for that sort of thing. And we checked out and I was heading heading towards the door and then I saw this bottom shelf of all of these sad Halloween decorations that nobody wanted and I saw this latex mask like folded in on itself and like at the bottom of the pile and I just I was for some reason it drew me over there and what I found was an original licensed Nightmare on Elm Street mask. With the Robert England um, likeness, and got it for probably two to three dollars. Now it wasn't like the one that comes with the fake sweater and the fake claws. It was the one that that I guess if if you need the reference um, in a wedding, the Wedding Singer, when the kid's running around the house with a Freddy Krueger mask on. That's the mask that I had. And I still have it. It's kind of ripped and torn. And it doesn't go all the way down to the neck. But that was the best mask I think they made at the time for Freddy Krueger. Anyways, enough about that shit. The movie started. Um, You get Tina, who was introduced. And Freddy, slowly introduced. And then you have the whole lamb thing. I never understood that. I think it, like or was it a sheep? I think it, I thought it was a lamb at first. Like I don't one of the biggest things of the movie and I don't even know. I always I love the boiler room too. Oh wait, here's a scene if you right before he jumps out, you can kind of see him waiting at the bottom of the screen. Um like a second before he... Po- there he is. Sorry. Sometimes I get so wrapped up in the movie that I forget what I'm actually doing. And this probably isn't going to be an interesting podcast. But for my first one... Commentary, rather. I'm going to enjoy it. So you can all go to hell. Burn with Freddy, damn it. Actually, that's one of my favorite lines... In a Freddy Krueger movie... It was like... Not not on screen rather... Not like happening right now... But it was like... Um, somebody told Freddy Krueger to go to hell... And he was like... Tell him Freddy sent you." The little girls... In the white... In the jump rope... That's an iconic thing that'll pop up... In a lot of other movies... Um, behind the mask one of my favorite horror movies which I'll get to eventually anyways, introducing our main character not Tina, but Nancy Thomas and a very young Johnny Depp which you might know him from Pirates of the Caribbean um, and everything else in the world because that man is not only talented but he's in everything Surprisingly, I don't know the last movie he was in. I know it's Transcendence I believe he's in soon. Or it's coming out soon. I guess I should turn on subtitles too. What do you think? Because I have no idea what they're saying. It works for him, but um, if you've ever seen the movie, it, it won't work in the end. Now, Springwood's in Ohio. Springwood, Ohio, I believe that's where it's located in this world. Look at that big ass boombox. This is the 80s, right? Sorry. <laughs> Again. Now, there's a lot of things in this movie that are reminiscent. Well, I guess this one came first, but, like, I get a Home Alone feeling. For instance, this right here, hes he has a sound effects tape to fool his mother into thinking he's at his friend's house or something. Outside the airport. Which is clever. It's just, it seems... I don't know, it seems like something McCulloch Hulkin would do. Only in that universe, all of his family disappeared. Which, I realize... While well, I'm making that connection now so that when we set it up later i can get into it later but was no never mind forget forget what i was i just fell off i'm i wish i was high or drunk right now but i i just i lost my train of thought and when we get into the actual movie movie not all this exposition and shit um i'll have a lot more to talk about cuz i've i've seen this movie a bunch of times and i've well i felt i've just i've fallen in love with Wes craven the director of this movie because there's just so so many cool little tidbits and so much shit that just. you don't catch usually on the first run. I don't know. You'll see what I'm talking about. soon. I don't know which actress is playing that, that part of Tina. But she looks awfully familiar. And like I said, I could probably look it up on IMDb, but... Screw that. And I know it's not on screen, but I've always loved the uh, costume of Freddy Krueger. The simple sweater, the red and green. It's... It's a human thing to wear. Like nowadays, if you see somebody wearing a red and green sweater, you automatically think of Freddy Krueger. That's just the way it is. Um, but it at the time, I mean, if he wasn't a character, it would just be a normal thing that humans do. Of course, it it's more referred to as a Christmas sweater because of the colors, but because Freddy Krueger is just a normal guy he was a normal guy he just killed in his free time and they get into the mythos a little more you know as the films progress but not really they do and they don't towards the end of the run from 5 6 and s- or 5 and 6 they get into it other than that they don't really do much with the story And then Seven. Seven's one of my other favorites, which I would love to do because of of all the goofiness that comes out of the series. Seven is the one that kind of brings it back to its roots, but makes it even darker. And plus, I love the kid that's in that movie. He was in that Kindergarten Cop movie as well. As well. Um, the The kid who's like, boys have penises, girls have vaginas. That kid... And he was in... Was it Problem Child? I think. He was was the Problem Child. Yeah. he. I mean, he's been in a lot of things as a kid. He was just a pretty cool ac- kid actor. The last thing I saw him on was a VH1 run. And I'm sure that was a rerun. But anyways... Apart from this opening, which, again, it's all about the build-up. You kind of get all all these characters are having similar dreams about this guy. And you have Johnny Depp, who's sexually frustrated. But here's a cool part. Well, not the sex. The sex is cool and all. But if I'm not involved with it, I don't really care. He's the dirtbag boyfriend, but he seems like a redeeming guy. He has some redeeming qualities. Mind you, none of them are existent in this scene, I think. He just wanted to get laid, I think. But... Oh, there's the cross again. And shit. Okay, here's one of my favorite effects coming up. The one that everyone knows about. And, I mean, I think it was NECA toys. It wasn't Mego. But I feel like I saw the logo. It might have been like Mecco or something. Something close to that. We'll say it was NECO. Um, they did the this toy line... called scene grabs which all from the classic movies and i believe it was just horror movies they took like a memorable scene and literally made it into a little die cast model um and so like i was i was able to find a few of them from like friday 13th part 6 and texas chainsaw massacre I found two of them for my Nightmare on Elm Street, and the one scene that's going to come up, I saw it in, or I have it as well. Unless it's after this part. It might be, uh, no, it would have to be beforehand because of what happens. You know what? I Honestly, it's been so long since I've seen this movie. <laughs> I probably should have watched it before I've done the commentary track. That's what I said I was going to do. I sh- I'm going to watch the movie, and then I'll rewatch it and do a podcast. But, I'm lazy, and that was too much work for me. Okay, here it is right here. One of the coolest and simplest effects, I think, in this movie. Because you have Freddy Krueger coming out of her dreams into her world, kind of. I mean, obviously that doesn't happen in the real world, but she's half asleep, so it's sort of happening in the real world. That was literally just like a sheet of, of latex. I believe it was latex, and just somebody on the other end pushing through it. And, of course, she checks the wall to make sure that it's real. And that's all. They just slipped it, slipped out the shots, I think. I'm pretty sure that that's what I heard. That it's, they shot it with the character coming through the latex. And then it cut to her with the crucifix. And then they cut back, and it's just the real wall again. The magic of editing. Sorry to spoil any illusions. For anyone out there. She looks kind of hot in that shirt. I mean, but a lot of girls look hot with just the shirt on and what looks like nothing underneath. Sorry. I know I'm a perverted mind, but... I'm also a man. A man with needs. And what I need, right now, is for Freddy Krueger to jump out and scare someone. Which he does do, but not before he drags out this scene right here. He, as the character does. Oh, there's the silhouette, which is one of the coolest fucking things to see. The hat, and then the glove in the silhouette. This part, I'm not sure why. (laughs) Maybe just because he's a fucked up individual. Freddy Krueger as the character why he would make his arms that long just to see if he could do it Oh, the creepy run there's so much good stuff in this scene right here I, I just I want to point out something real quick uh, and then I'll get back to that he's going to jump out spoilers right now and the glove's on the wrong hand it was on the wrong hand But, now he's gonna... Oh. Even though this is the first movie, and, you know, it's one of the best ones, the makeup was just something different. Something I didn't particularly enjoy. But, I mean, they were just figuring everything out. They didn't know it was gonna be such a success that they would make all those other ones. I actually have that action figure, the collectible, which has his long arms, like you can adjust them to make them that long, or keep them at regular length. And then they have one with, they have a head you can take off and put on that's just the, uh fuck, that was quick. Now I'm sure you guys know how they did this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It's a it's a scene that it's a technique that they did or they do again. But basically the room is what's moving right now. And she's literally just crawling around. He's anchored in to that corner and she and the room is being spun so that she can like crawl. Again, another practical effect. I mean, of course you have to build a spinning room, but it's fucking cool, isn't it? I mean... They could have CGI'd her being thrown along the walls. It just... It wouldn't be the same. I think they did that in the, in the remake. They... uh Well, I'm sure it cost less than making an actual room spin. Anyways. Beforehand... um, Like I was saying, they... This was really preliminary, in the makeup. The glove was perfect, I think, um, but also in the voice. You can see they don't really tinker with his voice that much, and of course Robert England's younger considerably than in other. In the other Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but. They don't do much to it. It's kind of just him, putting on a menacing, tone. I don't know. I kind of like the makeup and the voice in the other movies. It's only in 1 and 2 that it seems kind of off. But yet at the same time, because of the way it looks more like burnt skin, in the other movies it looks like pizza. So, I don't know. Just my opinion. Anyways, I really enjoyed this actor here. Uh, John Saxon. I believe. Or is it Bill... It's not Bill Paxton. It's John Saxon. He only makes another appearance in one other film. Well, two if you count seven. Which I would. But anyway. She looks really old to be the age that she is right now. I'm just... She might be that age. She might just be a little older. But she she looks old. Older. Like in her eyes. And there's the house. Now see. People... People get the oh, you really think that would, that would happen in like real life? Like, people that are taking away bodies would let bits of them hang out like that. I, I mean, I don't know. I I haven't been to a lot of crime scenes. I just don't think that's that's the way it works. What was I gonna say? Um, this house, Nancy's house. People get it confused with Freddy's house. In fact, I get it confused with Freddy's house only because in the first one, like the, like I said, it was a new character, it was the start of the slash, well, not the start start of the slasher movies, but I mean of the 80s classic slasher movies, this was one of the earlier ones. And so they didn't know that it would kick off the way it did. Much like they didn't know Michael Myers would as well. I mean, that's why you have the third movie, which has nothing to do with Michael Myers. Because it, Michael Myers wasn't going to be a recurring character. Um, he was just going to be in the first movie, and then every Halloween they would release another one, Halloween story, kind of, not Michael Myers. He's also called The Shape in the credits because it he wasn't going to really be that character, the reoccurring slasher. But anyways, we're not on Michael Myers, we're on Freddy Krueger. Um, but yeah, so her house has the blue front door, the green shutters, or not the, sh- I don't think this girl's house has shutters, but the green paneling, on the r- or the shingles, rather. The Freddy house is what, the 1428 Elm Street, Which I'm not sure if that's her address. I don't think it is her address. But the 1428 Elm Street is supposedly Freddy Krueger's house, where Freddy Krueger was born. Well, not born. He was born in an asylum. But that one has the red door, the green on the roof, the green shutters, I believe. It's a very aesthetically pleasing house, though even when it's boarded up it it looks hauntingly beautiful in a weird sick way but Nancy's house is the the only distinction i think i mean apart from the structure is holy shit wasn't i think Sorry. I feel like that actress, the teacher, was in Part 7. But maybe not. For those of you who haven't seen I'm on Elm Street Part 7, Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. It could almost be a standalone movie. But it's really, it's just, it's a movie within a movie. It's a meta movie. So Nancy is in the movie still but she's playing Nancy or she's playing Heather Lankencamp which is the actress's name she's playing herself and all the Freddy movies that have happened have just been movies in that that reality I believe I, she was in that too the teacher but anyways cuz they bring back a lot of the characters from this one to that one then you have Tina a freaky fucking scene if you see your best friend i mean you're asleep mind you so you're imagining all this but if you see your best friend in in this body bag nancy all that shit that's freaky some freaky stuff and then a a trail of blood down the hallway See, I mean she just looks kind of old. She looks kind of old but yet innocent. It's weird. She has a weird face. I'm sorry. Not that she's not attractive to someone other than me. And that was freaky too, dragging away the body. All these effects are so practical. That's the that's why I have trouble watching CGI movies is because the effects have been done in the past. Through your paths. It's a very cool thing to have. (laughs) To have a... A a Freddy Krueger-esque call monitor. That's pretty much Freddy Krueger. I know I'm really not telling you anything that's not... That you guys probably don't already know. I just... This movie is... I don't know, this movie just is awesome. I kinda like just watching it. And the fact that you you've sunk sunk synced that you synced it up this commentary track with that movie this movie, it's just it's kinda cool. It's like having somebody in the room watching it with you. So please put on some pants. I'm very uncomfortable. Just kidding. I'll take mine off to be more comfortable. No, but in all seriousness. That's why I wish to have guests on the show so we can both talk about the movie because that's one of the cool things is because watching a movie by yourself and watching a movie with other people, the experiences are so different. Oh. Freddy. Freddie shows up. Slinks. Yeah. And I remember hearing in, um, oh, shit, the maggots. Oh, I'm glad they changed that to the faces, the soles. The soles of all of his kills become part of his skin. And they even have that Halloween costume where you can buy the sweater that's like, you can even buy the electronic one where it's, he lifts up his shirt. It's from, it might be the third one or the fourth one no, no, it's the fourth one, he lifts up his sweater, and you can see all the faces like molded into his burnt up skin, and then the faces actually move in the, in the movie, but you can buy an animatronic one for Halloween and wear that same thing, but anyways, I heard in like an interview um, that Robert Englund chose to when he puts on the glove, it becomes like a weapon. Well, it is, it's is—it's literally a weapon, but it's just the look of it itself. It, it's a catalyst for evil. And so he slinks it down lower, if you see. He always has it lower in at least the first movie. He likes... he kind of giving him a slouch, like an Igor-type thing, where the blades are, are lower... His shoulders are unlevel. And he's kind of just dragging it along, kind of. It's very creepy and completely Robert Englund's brilliance. Which I know doesn't sound like much, but... Seriously, like, something as simple as that... I'm sure on set, it was terrifying. I'm sure he would just walk around the boiler room as Freddy, and, you know, people would freak the fuck out. Of course, I'm sure it's very hard to forget that you're making a movie when there's all kinds of people standing around, you know, doing shit, that you're like, oh, I am on a movie set. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't really care for her. And I, I don't think that so that would be the size burn she'd have if she burnt herself on the pipe. It could be a little bigger, but I can't nitpick at something as trivial as that, right yeah, and it's it's. That's one of the clever things about the character is, since he's killing you in your dreams, like this fucker, I don't even, Glenn, I think, is that his name or is that Johnny Depp's name? Chris, maybe? Maybe his name's Chris. Glenn might be Johnny Depp. Um, Totally pins the murder on him. But at the same time, it it takes away Freddy Krueger's credit, especially in the mythos that they develop where he stalks one kid to get the rest of her their friends scared because he operates on fear. If he wanted people to be afraid, um, well, this dude's afraid, obviously, because we know what happens to him, but... It's like there's not... There's only four actual teens that we get to talk to and interact with in this movie. You have Glenn, Tina, Chris, and Nancy. The rest are all adults. I mean, obviously apart from that classroom scene, but we don't really get to talk to any of those kids. There's that one kid that's up there reading shit off, and then if you count the hall monitor, which isn't really wasn't really a teenager, it was a dream Freddy but Freddie the the higher population of children, the more Freddie Krueger has to kill, and so there's clearly a lot of kids there, but then it's supposedly it's all about the location, like this is Elm Street, this is the neighborhood that he's preying on, so is it like only because these four kids live on Elm Street near Elm Street that he's preying on them? You don't really get a lot of the backstory you get how he became. Also, if you're afraid of this guy, or if you have reason to believe that he killed your best friend, would you be singing his theme song? (sighs) Another cool scene. I've seen this reenacted somewhere else. I'm sure a lot of places have reenacted it, but it's just literally... How easy is that? It's a very sexual scene as well and nothing happens. It's sexualized, I guess, in the fact that he's right between her legs and she's the virgin, which as horror movies history, horror movie history has taught us, the virgin usually lives. But I'm just a fan of the actual effect. The fact that she's in a fake tub. And there's that hand coming out. But then it's greater, there's a greater effect right here. Where it's literally a bottomless tank. And that's not even the actress. That's a stunt double. Just for the record. Oh, that would be freaky, wouldn't it? I mean, technically, she fell asleep, so she she should be afraid that she would drown. But Freddy's literally, obviously, making this happen, and so it's even worse. How the... That was another part that was weird. Is that a common thing? When, like, the door's locked and you can't get in to get a coat hanger and do that? I mean, granted, I... Like, my brother's lock, the lock on my brother's door, it was literally, it was a push lock, and then there was a hole on the outside, I guess, for that exact same thing. It was just weird that she grabbed a hanger, and she, like, it was like a span of two seconds that she unraveled the hanger and got it in there. That was weird, and I don't know if that was possible. She must, like, she already had it undone, which is... I'm losing focus again. So yeah, the I don't know why they switched the houses. The red door must have been scarier. And I think they, they just switched it in... Well, they didn't even switch it, I think. Okay, sorry. That on the television, that is the Evil Dead. So, that's another reason why we're watching this movie. I believe it was a trailer... I mean, I read somewhere that it was like a TV spot or something, but that looked sequentially like the movie itself. I could be wrong, but that's one of the greatest things: is the fact that that evil, the Evil Dead, exists in the Nightmare on Elm Street universe as a movie, something you would watch on television late at night. But Jason exists within the Freddy Krueger universe and because of the Freddy vs. Jason thing. And then in Friday the thirteenth, part nine, Jason Goes to Hell, if you look at that movie, there are actually there are actually references to the Evil Dead as well. But you have the actual Necronomicon and the Necronomicon's sidekick from the first movie, that knife, with all the bones and everything on it. Like, the Necronomicon is crucial to the plot in Jason Goes to Hell. Same with that knife. So, their power exists, and they're the exact same. How they ended up from, I believe it's Oregon, to Crystal Lake. Which, I'm trying to think of where Crystal Lake is in comparison junction with Springwood, because that's where Freddy Krueger is. See, this is one of the biggest things I love about movies in general, are the universes that they take place in. Because anytime there's a reference from one universe to the other, it's always cool to figure out what's real and what's not, because like I said, in this movie, in the Freddy Krueger universe, Evil Dead is a movie. But Jason exists in the Freddy Krueger universe, and in Jason's universe, Evil Dead, like, that has potential to have happened. Also, if you watch Evil Dead 2, and I know, I'm way overthinking this. These were just references. These were just things the director or somebody, the props guy, threw in because they were like, hey, let's give them a nod. But in terms of the movie's reality, you have to figure how these actually fit. And in Evil Dead Two when Bruce Campbell is in the basement looking for the pages, there is a Freddy Krueger claw hanging above the door it's in the basement. So it's 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 in reality in our reality it's one that like a props guy nicked from a Nightmare on Elm Street set and just threw it in there. It was an indie film, so well. I think it was the first one, that, or it was the second one that was in, so it wasn't an indie film anymore. But, yeah. Um, so you have the Freddy Krueger glove in the second one, which means that Freddy Krueger is real in the Ash universe, and Ash exists in the Jason universe, and Jason exists in the Freddy universe, but in the Freddy universe, Ash is a movie or hash the evil dead is a movie so there's some weird universe there's like anti universes within the universe it's really it's really inter- intriguing and as a comic book fan who likes crossovers and shit like that i uh, and a doctor who fan that loves universe talk that's one of my favorite things about movies, especially horror movies, because I feel like in horror movies, you get a lot more other references. Like in in the movie Dead Silence, it was made by a a few of the creators of Saw, so that movie's about, like, puppets and shit, so in one of the scenes, you see the Jigsaw puppet sitting on the floor, and that's a connection, only because the producer put it in there, or, not the producer, but one of the guy's creators put it in there as a nod to their past project but in that universe Jigsaw exists as a serial killer yeah okay this I I forgot about this part right here this effect is just it's a simple two second one I don't know how they would have done that Practically, but the rest of this effect is practical, where he hangs himself. Oh shit, I forgot about this part too. Cockroaches out of her mouth? Oh, centipede. Ah, the first human centipede. Just kidding. Never never watch that movie. That movie's weird, gross, and unnecessary. Even more weird, gross, and unnecessary is the second one. And I'm sure the third one will be just as weird, gross, and unnecessary. Also, I guess another very scary part, factor, aspect of this movie is that Freddy Krueger is like a combination of all... Ooh. Marshmallow steps. Looks like Marshmallow. I'm sure it's not actually Marshmallow. (laughs) Damn, Freddy. And I believe... I, I don't know this this really probably isn't a reference to it, but there's a hockey mask in this room somewhere. Oh, see that was a practical effect that was giving off the illusion of a dream. Well, this whole thing is a dream, otherwise Freddy wouldn't be here per se, damn, too close for comfort. Oh shit. No means no. Anyway, um fuck, what was I talking about? See, I got I got wrapped up in it again. Um Yeah, one of the the scarier aspects of this movie, kind of like with Jaws, is that in Jaws I mean, a shark in the water, that is, like, that's a real thing that can happen. Obviously, in A Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm not advocating that somebody can come into your dream and kill you. I mean, people do and have died in their sleep um, from, like, being scared to death and shit like that. Nobody has ever, in my knowledge, nobody has ever been murdered in their dream and then died in real life. But anyway, the fact that he is kind of a representation of all of your bad dreams, of all the nightmares you've ever had, of any nightmare you're ever going to have, he's the guy that's coming after you, the man in the dark. And he's going to kill you. And that is scary that plays plays a huge part in psychological torture that a lot of people you know can freak out about like uh, he's the character that you're afraid to go to sleep at least with Jason or Michael you can be awake and presumably get as far away from him as possible the only way you can get away from freddy is to stay awake which after a while you have no choice but to go to sleep as we find out in the remake. And if you if you stay awake long enough and go to sleep, then you're not waking up. You'll be in a coma, essentially. And then he could play with you as much as he wants. This practical effective though thing going around his neck I I can't determine if it was like a string like if I think it was if they shot it in reverse or if they had like a wire in the yeah or if they had a wire in the in the cloth the first time it went around his neck and kind of just guided it through they might have shot that in reverse, though. Which would make sense. And it would look cool. Well, if they did shoot it, it did look cool. Um, yeah, and then to the rest of the world, it looks like he's just hung himself. Which, how he got that so far up there, please, explain. I want somebody who to explain that. And the fact is, the whole town, well, his Her father knows, and I'm sure he's told somebody. Her father knows that they burnt Freddy alive, and he was one of them. The mother was there too. Not to spoil it, I'm sorry, but that's, that's how Freddy dies. The town gets together, because he was taking their kids, and they took his life. And to get back at them, he went after their kids, which is what he was doing in real life. So, oh, Stark... Tony Stark must have died. Damn. That's sad. I don't buy it. Iron Man's not dead. Anyway. Yeah. Like, it's an endless cycle. It's a vicious cycle of violence. That's unnecessary. (laughs) Not that that matters to a child murderer. And in the remake, they make him a pedophile. Which I'm sure he has pedophilic tendencies. Or at least might sexualize the killing of children in some sick way. But I don't think he acts on it. I think he recognizes it. And that's part of the reason he loves killing. Especially little girls. But he, I I really, in in this Freddy Krueger universe, I don't see him as a pedophile. Not like they made him in the uh, remake. That was fucked up, and it's it's strange when you're trying to, you know, defend a serial killer. But it's just I don't I don't like it. Okay, so here, obviously, their reactions to her talking about ah, uh, she is ugly. I'm sorry. She—it's Maybe it was just a shot with the dark skin and the bright makeup. Like, it looked like her whole face had makeup on it. She made, like, her eyes really dark and her lipstick really bright. But anyway. Really, there's just a place for that? Just sleep disorders? I don't know if that exists. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, I just I don't know enough to know that it does. A place that just specializes in sleep disorders. That has a sign that says it. Maybe like... I don't know. I don't I don't know. I, I guess I can't really critique, or crit, criticize or critique the fact that there's a place near Springwood. I don't know how far, but that there's a place near it that um, specializes in sleep disorders. Part of me was thinking that perhaps this was built because of all the kids dying in their sleep, so they made this to kind of monitor it, but the timeline wouldn't match up because this mother was the one that killed Freddy. Was it part of the group that killed Freddy, or at least involved in some way? I don't know this actor's name, but he's been in a lot of things. And I've always enjoyed him in things. The, The one thing that I can point out that he was in was, uh... He was in a Disney Channel original movie, Genius. Or, yeah. Was it just called Genius? About the smart kid who goes to college and pretends to be in high school as, like, this bad kid, like, oh, I'll do anything because I don't care the consequences because he doesn't go to that school. And he was, like, the professor that worked underneath the ice rink. Anyway, again, way off base. What I was going to say was the fact that the mother and the father both know of Freddy Krueger. Obviously, she uh knows enough to bring her to a sleep sleep uh a place that specializes in sleep disorders. I swear to god I am not drunk. This would be a lot more entertaining if I was drunk. I promise you. One day it'll happen. And one day I'll have a guest star And one day, I'll do a movie that I can talk more about. But, right now, Oh, God. So, yeah, the parents know enough, or at least the mother knows enough to get her some help for sleeping. Which means, this isn't, this, it must mean that she knows the that there's a real risk. She wants to get her help because she's talking about this guy that she murdered, that the mother murdered back in the day. But it just it makes me feel like if the dad knew, if the kid, Glenn, or Chris, I, I seriously can't remember his name. I'm going to go with Chris. The Chris was accused of a crime he did not commit. He said, I didn't commit this crime. And then he died. Now maybe, they obviously, they weren't going to just be like, oh, this kid was saying that somebody cut him when he was asleep. That obviously means it's Freddy Krueger. Because that scene right there confirms her fear of the fact that maybe it is Freddy Krueger that's doing all this. Because she just pulled this hat out of nowhere that belonged to Freddy. It even has his name stitched in it, I'm sure but no, just, and the mother becomes an alcoholic, real quick, I don't know if she was always an alcoholic, but it seems like she just becomes one. one, well, oh, or maybe she was one that's dealing with it very poorly, based on the fact that her daughter's dreaming Freddy Krueger and now can't sleep and shit, and one of her friends died, so now she realizes that her friend died in her sleep, because obviously she knows. And the father must know now. I feel I just, I just feel like there, there was some unjust, injustice delivered to Glenn. Shit, Chris. Sorry. I just decided his name was Chris. And then I called him Glenn. There was some injustice <laughs> delivered to Chris because he was thrown into jail. Because he was the last one to see her alive. The boyfriend's always the first one to be accused. Husband? Boyfriend? Last sexual encounter? Yes. Always. Always, always, always. I also feel like they brushed over the whole thing with her hair being gray. Real quick. Because I barely notice it in this scene, but it's there. And then, fucking Chris, he dies. Does anyone feel bad that he's dead? Does And do they f- figure it was a suicide just because he was alone in his cell? Because it doesn't add up. How could he reach through that grate? Like, well, I'm thinking of it in terms of the universe. It's Freddy Krueger, not Fred Krueger. Weirdo. Fred Krueger... Well, that kind of sounds Freddy. Freddy Krueger sounds more menacing in the terms of it's, like, playful, crazy. Fred Krueger sounds like my uncle. Oh, Uncle Fred. Fred Krueger? Well, to be fair, I'm glad I don't have an Uncle Fred. That would make him a pedophile, I'm sure. Well, not that his name is Fred, but, like, Uncle Fred sounds like a pedophile. And they're in Ohio, so why is there palm trees? Are there palm trees in Ohio? Springwood, Ohio. Maybe this Springwood, this is before they established that it was in Ohio, but in later instances, it's definitely true that they're in Ohio. This doesn't look like Ohio. I've been to Ohio a few times and this this doesn't look like it. Maybe it exists. I've never seen this part of Ohio. This is up class Ohio near the the rich the rich and famous of Ohio where palm trees exist in this tropical part of Ohio 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 Ohio. Now that sounded like Hitler. And a little bit like Jack Sparrow, which is fitting, considering Johnny Depp's in this movie. And that's another thing. Johnny Depp, his first role. This is introducing Johnny Depp. That's like the opening credits, introducing Johnny Depp. I believe this was his first role. Maybe he had an uncredited appearance in the Wonder Years once. I'm pretty sure that came out in the 80s or 90s. That was a joke. That was a reference to Psych. Another show that few people watch. Oh, wait. Okay, wait. Sorry. You see the address of this house. 1428 Elm Street. Well, now there are bars all over the place, which I don't know how that helps. Well, I guess because she realized that her boyfriend was sneaking up into her window. Is it for added protection, too, though? Like, you could have just put it on her window if you were worried. You have to go crazy. But you're drunk, so I get it. It probably screwed the contractor that came out and did that. But anyway How do you how do you And if you know oh my god This mother if you realize that it's Freddy Krueger doing this, how is putting bars on the windows going to help? He's a psychological killer. He's already inside her head. Do you think that's helping? God. I, I'm, I'm sorry to get so pissed, but... That doesn't make sense. Stop calling him Fred Kruger. It's weird. Freddy. Call him Freddy. Mr. Krueger. Now that sounds like a cologne... Or a cologne. Or a clothing, clothing line with suits and, and brim hats. Hats with brims. All hats have brims. Except caps. But a cap's not a hat. Okay. Oh yeah, that was another part of the um, mythos, was that he got off on a technicality. Which was very cool in the fact that they made a television series slightly based on A Nightmare on Elm Street. And they got f- actual the actual Robert England to be Freddy Krueger on television. So we had the time. It was a small series that ran in the 80s. I think it was just called The Nightmare on Elm Street series, which is original, since The Nightmare on Elm Street series was actually just... Or maybe it was like... A Nightmare... The Nightmare Stories or something like that? I know there was also a Friday the 13th series and a Nightmare on Elm Street television series. Like, there were two television series based on their respective slasher. But in the premise of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, it would be like... Freddy Freddy would actually introduce the show kind of like the Crypt Keeper. It was... That's exactly what it was. It was Tales from the Crypt with Freddy Krueger. Which is cool. It's very cool, and in the first episode, or at least in the intro, it would show you, like, the court scene where Freddy Krueger was, it might have been, like, the introduction, where Freddy Krueger was in prison, or he was in court, rather, and the judge lets him go not guilty or some shit like that, and then all the parents are in an uproar, and gets he gets to go scot-free, and he's smiling, and then they burn him down which is a really cool idea i would watch that if that like i would watch the origin stories of freddy krueger why hasn't somebody done that shit god like we we all see how he's like when he's dead like (laughs) kicking ass in dreams but what happens if he was real like if he was, it was before when he was human, in the world of prequels and shit. I'm surprised that nobody's delved into that. We're getting a Batman prequel very soon, um, the GCPD, which is a perfect perfect idea, and I re I just I really wish that they decided to do the um, Batman Shadow of the Bat television series that Kevin Smith and Paul Dini came up with on Fat Man on Batman. Because that show would have kicked ass. And it was all predicated on that 32nd television spot for the Arkham Origins game. I won't repeat like the whole podcast here while we're watching A Nightmare on Elm Street, but basically it was like the 32nd trailer for the video game where it's a single shot of... Bruce Wayne as a child and he's smiling, he's in a suit and you just like see these two figures behind him, presumably his parents cuz like you see the woman's arms and the father's suit and um then there's like this flash and then this bullet casing that falls into frame and his face changes from like smiling to like what's going on? And the 30-second trailer is literally a point in his life through each, like, stage. Like, him seeing his parents get murdered. um, Then him at the funeral, so it's, like, raining and you see all the people behind him with the black umbrellas. And then you see him getting beat up at boarding school, like, his face is on the ground. It's in the same position the whole time, the center of the frame you'll see like he he's getting pounded he has black and blue marks all over his face and then it changes to where he's like fighting not in like full batman gear but kind of like the batman begins gear where it's just black and he has the gauntlets on and then it busts into him as batman like it's all the stages of his life and what they did was they broke that down and just went over it stage by stage and ended up coming up with this really cool television series based on the younger years kind of like a small for batman where it was him at boarding school in a town over investigating some shit and he could go to school anywhere but he's there because he hears about the injustice and that's kind of how it starts off his and he runs into some characters that are going to be predominant in his life later but it's just him as a young boy, and that's something that we don't see a lot of ever in Batman. All the Batman that have been on screen have always been, you know, my parents have died, let's go kick some ass. And, I mean, apart from the Dark Knight series, which I call it that, the Nolan verse, those are the only movie, the Batman movies, that are really, like, true, earnest representations of Batman. The Tim Burton Batman and the... Joel Schumacher aren't perfect, but then again, I'm not. They made the movie the way they wanted to make it. So, but I would go check that out if you're a fan of the Bat, and if you're listening to this podcast, there's a more than a good chance that you are. So, yeah, because they Paul Dini is one of the creators and producers of the Batman animated series and has written a lot of Batman stuff and is part partly responsible. You never see tits. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that was just <laughs> out of nowhere. But yeah, her back was to the camera because I think Wes Craven didn't want to show any skin, really, in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Oh, wait. We saw her boobs in the... the. Well, that, that wasn't Nancy, so maybe that's why. We saw her boobs when she went underwater. But we never see Heather's boobs. I'm a man. Again. I'm sorry. But anyways. Back to the bat. They, Paul Dini co-created or did create solely um, the Harley Quinn character when they did Mad Love. Paul Dini and uh, Bruce Timm. They created that character and they did their work on the Batman animated series. Which is phenomenal. But Kevin Smith being the fat man on Batman founder and obviously that's what he does on that show is he talks to people who've worked on Batman who are interested in Batman and just talk about Batman they come up with this super cool television show but I still think it's really cool that we're getting a Batman related television show because in this world especially in the world of like procedurals and cop shows like that will have it's place nicely Um, the GCPD, plus I would love they have a lot of stuff on Batman um, that they can get away with doing it on another character and I think Jim Gordon is a good character because then there's so much you can do with that character there's just so much given to us that we need to uh, okay, so Johnny Depp is Glenn and I'm going to say it's Chris but I don't know for sure we'll see when the credits roll but yeah so i think they do have a lot of places to go with the GCPD television show and i've heard through the grapevine that they're going to do some they're going to focus on a little bit of Bruce Wayne as a young kid which of course since Kevin Smith and Paul Dini talked about it You know, you kind of get the feeling that maybe somebody was like, hey, that's a good idea, maybe we should do that. But, again, not saying... And he admits, like, he's not saying that that's what they did. They were like, let's steal this and not give them any credit. Because, obviously, they don't own the Batman character. Um, But I think it was just a good idea to do a Bruce Wayne younger... A younger Bruce Wayne, exactly like Smallville, essentially... But the fact that they're going to do Jim Gordon is really good. Alright, back to this movie. She pulls it out of the wall. And then it rings more. Not only does it ring more, but it <laughs> one of the parts I like is that the uh, mouthpiece changes into Freddy Krueger' mouth. Spoilers, sorry. I really hope you're watching this movie like it's not the first time you've seen this because if I'm talking... I am i don't have that much witty banter. I'm literally just talking about things that I know. Stuff I'm not even sure I know completely. But I hope you're not watching it for the first time with my voice because that would just ruin the whole thing. Yes that was a very cool effect and it was a practical effect and they use it not A Nightmare on Elm Street actually I don't know if they use that effect again I feel like they do but maybe they don't but it makes another appearance kind of in a weird way in the Leprechaun movie with Jennifer Aniston before she gets her nose job so she's really young. Where the leprechaun's little tiny hand comes out of the phone. It's similar, it's not the same. And then the iconic scene. The scene that everyone loves from this movie. The one that caused them the most problem, but yet the greatest result. The Glenn in the bed scene. (sighs) Whew. very simple hole in the bed and they literally pull him through and then this part the blood that whole th- building the whole building the whole bedroom is upside down and they're letting the blood flow but what happened was uh <sighs> the bed there was a fan underneath and it was kind of, it kind of hit the fan accidentally and that's why it's getting that spinning effect something that they didn't anticipate also how the blood is moving from one side of the room to the other they didn't anticipate that when the blood hit the floor that it would change the weight of the bed and so <laughs> what i what i found out okay wow i totally forgot to mention this there is a great documentary on the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. Wow. Shit. Called Never Sleep Again. It's literally the Elm Street legacy of all the Nightmare on Elm Street films and they get the actors and everyone from every film. I mean, they don't get all the actors from every film, but they get like all of they get a handful of actors from each film and all of the people that ever worked on the Nightmare on Elm Street series and they literally talk about it for like 3 4 hours, 5 hours, I don't know. So it's a it's like a two disc d v d with special features and shit and that's that's where I got a lot of this information that's okay, but yeah, so they were they were pumping the the blood through that hole with the whole um room upside down, and what they didn't anticipate was that when the blood hit the floor or the ceiling rather um that the weight of it would shift the room, and it started tilting the room to one side. Like when you have a container filled with liquid, and it just, the one side's heavier when you, yeah. So they had people, they had blood spewing all over this, these electric, like, lights and, and cords, trying not to get electrocuted, but trying to keep the room from spinning completely over and getting the blood everywhere. So And they're still filming. Like, as you saw, that little scene where the blood was kind of shifting. That's part of it. They cut obviously the whole thing, the whole disaster, but like they're they're trying to stop the room from spinning completely 360, 180. One of those. And there's just blood everywhere and they're trying they're trying not to get electrocuted in the process. But it looks brilliant on film and it's practical. Now of course if they had factored in the fact that the water liquid, the liquid would shift and cause cause such a mess they might have adjusted for that maybe put holes and buckets in the the floor the ceiling so that it would fill up and not you know it would drain out before getting too too filled that might have been what i'd done Okay, so the reason I mentioned Home Alone earlier is because this feels like a Home Alone situation. Almost literally. I mean, she's, her mother's drunk, which is just the same as being Home Alone. But again, Home Alone came out way after this. But I saw Home Alone before I saw this movie, so that's the only reason why there's any water. She's putting all these booby traps from that book that she was reading earlier so that she can catch this guy clever and I guess using the resources you have at your disposal nowadays somebody would just get a gun (laughs) but I guess you know she doesn't have three days she has hours but it's very home alone-ish like if that was a paint can come on Somebody was dropping the ball, mostly John Hughes, which I don't say that. Didn't didn't John Hughes do the first? I would say, uh, I gotta check my facts. I'm pretty sure. I can't believe I'm doing this during a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, IMDb. Well, John Hughes wrote it, and Chris Columbus directed it. So I was right. Of course, he didn't see A Nightmare on Elm Street and be like, this would be really cool if instead of Freddy Krueger, it was Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern um, creeping in as burglars. ...on Macaulay Culkin... ...who's home alone only because his... ...family forgot him... ...and... ...forgot him at home... ...and he thinks that he wished his parents away... ...his whole family away... ...and so now... ...he has to defend the house... ...instead of calling the police... ...which... ...why didn't he call the police? Did did they not believe him or something he could have just called the police i'm i'm sure it was addressed in the movie if not that is a major flaw but we're not here to talk about home alone we're talking about fred uncle fred kruger i'm okay i'm pretty sure here's there's going to be a shot where you can see a hockey mask And she looks across her room. Maybe. Oh, and by the way, this prayer. And now I lay me down to sleep. I never knew that it was an actual thing. I always thought that anywhere I heard that was a reference to (laughs) Nightmare on Elm Street. Because this was the first place I heard it. And I was like, Okay. That must be, like, my soul to take. I believe that's a Wes Craven movie that was made not too long ago. I mean, relatively long ago, but not too long ago. Well, I guess it wouldn't be relatively long ago. And I always thought that that was just like, okay, this guy's using what he knows or is playing off that because it was also I think about dreams in some way I don't know little did I know that's a thing that people do they actually say that prayer and as somebody who's not particularly religious I had no idea So the first place she goes is to get his glove, which isn't there because she's asleep. And technically, if he's alive and haunting, he has the glove. Why would it? Also, I'm not sure what she think. I mean, she's looking for him, obviously. She was searching for Freddy. Now she's in the basement of her basement. (laughs) Which I know is more of a narration than a commentary, but... And Nancy does make an appearance in the third one. I mean, she becomes a pretty important character. Um, Spoilers, she lives. I'm sorry. But like I I said, we all know the Virgin lives. I'm sure there are some exceptions to the rule. But as we learned in Scream, the Virgin lives. And Scream was another choice I was thinking of doing tonight, and I probably should have, because that movie I could go on and on and on about. But... That was the movie that inspired, Scream was the movie that inspired me to, um, become a director and writer, which I wouldn't have found if I didn't watch this movie, because Wes Craven did both, and there's a a few Freddy Krueger references in that movie as well, so... on. I'm only really impatient because I'm not watching it with the sound on, and that's really weird. I should have put some headphones on and just listened to it that way. Well, I'm dumb, <laughs> but I'm also lazy, which I've established. So... I think that's a great location. I don't I don't know who's I mean obviously it can't Oh, wait wait wait. If you look I know it's the scene's past, but if you look in the bottom left corner, a few frames back, there's a red and green bucket. A red bucket with the red and or with the green stripes on it. Which is cool. Ooh. What I was going to say was this, uh, the boiler room is such a great location. Like, not, I mean, not only was Freddy Krueger burned alive, and supposedly was a janitor of some kind, which... Oh. It's got boy blood on it. Oh, and I didn't notice it has, like, property of Glenn on it. Maybe it was no. There he is. He's not wearing his hat. Oh, shit. Right into her thorn bushes. So, yeah, I don't know if I kept kept this going, but the address on our door, 1428 Elm Street, that's where Freddy Krueger lives. So, like, did the house get re-, re renovated Sorry. I really feel like I- I sound like I'm drunk, but I'm not, I swear. The house got renovated, they painted the door red, and then shut down the house. Because the timeline must not be very long, but, but I guess also nobody remembers that the house had a blue door in the beginning. When they think the Freddy Krueger house, they think the red door, green. I mean, to be to their credit, the the green is on the the shingles. Oh shit! You know, now that I'm watching, oh. Here's here's a big booby trap, which I guess works. <laughs> Get my father is what she should be saying. I'll, well, okay, she does say that. Kudos. It looked like that glass panel was kind of already pre-broke. I'm sure it had to be, but right in the nuts. Oh, it was in his stomach. Because nut shots would have been too funny. And then right there, you see the mattress that he fell on? It's a mistake, but, you know, what can you do? They also, they don't really show his face that much. I just realized that. She's just breaking every window in her house. Duh. But yeah, I mean, his face is dark throughout the whole thing, practically. And he, you only see, like, part of it at the time. And when she you actually see a front shot of his face, she pulls it off. And there's a skeleton face underneath. Okay, here is where Freddy Krueger burns. But I mean, like, he bloats up too. Because of the fireproof costume underneath. See how big he is? But that's practical. Again, they they set that man on fire. They set the stuntman on fire and was like... Oh, you'll be fine. Fire fireproof suit. And despite that fact that they have that big ass fire retardant suit on, I buy it. I buy that that man is burning. In the real world, no dream. Come on, jeez, yeah. I don't know if he would... Oh, well, I guess the... I was thinking about how much smoke there is for the man that's burning. I... Oh, I mean, I guess there's still a fire in the the basement, but then I forgot about, A, those footprints, and, B, before the uh, light burst because of the, the shotgun shells. Why... In, oh. You made it worse. And do you think they just actually put out the fire at that moment? I mean, obviously. Don't get me wrong, they didn't have him burning for that long. I'm sure they did a few takes. But, like... That was the only way they could put him out on set... Was to actually have the dude cover cover him and smother out the plane. Another practical effect. Just, I mean, it was practical, and there was some digitizing, I'm sure, but... Why they didn't have the mother just burn like a I guess because of the way they had that set up. Like, they why they didn't have the actress wear some makeup and, like, fall into the bed. Maybe it was just because of the way it was set up so that they could drag her down slowly. Being taken by the Beast. I don't know. And then, after all this... She realizes, well, first, this is cool, too. This is a really cool scene. Oh, look at that smoke, man, and the blood on the sheet. Robert England, the man, is back. still, maybe maybe it's my computer, but his face is really dark, because I guess he's just supposed to be that ominous? Or is the quality of the color on my television off? Like I said, you don't really see his face. I mean, you see the features of his face enough to put it all together, but She got some big old teeth. I'm sorry, I'm not making fun of her appearance, as much as it sounds, like it. I don't, I don't mean to, but she just has some, some big teeth. So, after all that, she just takes away his power, and in the real world, he disappears like that. Cause wouldn't there be the physical body? I don't know two of my favorite things are coming up. I know I'm probably saying that a lot, but it's just I think it's awesome every everything seems to go back to normal, and then boom, you're hit with two things. She doesn't have the gray in her hair, does she? No good. I love that red car. I love it so much. I guess that's why they didn't make the door red. And then boom. I'm pretty sure that was a real reaction from the actors. That the way it came down and shit, it scared them. It was a nice touch making it red and green though. beautiful and then what they tried to do in the oh we see these girls again what they tried to do oh shit in the remake that last scene where they grabbed the mother it was effective though in in the remake i love it more though that in this one it's uh Oh, Rod. His name was Rod, not Chris. Any mention of Chris I've made in the past, I was really talking about Rod. Why his name was Rod? Okay, he's credited as Fred Krueger. That's why they were calling him Fred Krueger. Wow. For a fan, I sure know nothing about this movie. I'm very sorry to all those who've watched and were trying to yell at me through the... through the headphones... Of, of this podcast. Do you yell through headphones? No. For all of those who are yelling at me. From through this podcast. It's Rod you idiot. Well I apologize. I Chris works. But her, her name was Tina right? Who am I thinking of was Chris? Maybe it's just in another. Uh. Another Nightmare on Elm Street movie, or maybe it's not. I don't. I don't know. Seems like a Chris. Anyway, well, he also seemed like a Glenn, but that was Johnny Depp. So yeah. All right. <laughs> that was the first, technically, the first commentary track. Special thanks to Sam Raimi, Sean Cunningham. Sean Cunningham, the director of Friday the thirteenth, why were they thanking him? Was there a Jason reference that I missed? Damn. I'm gonna have to rewatch this, but I'm not gonna do another commentary track or insert that into this one. The Elm Street Venture. Wow. As as you might be able to tell, I'm watching the credits. Something I usually do, but a special thanks to Sean Cunningham. I'm going to have to look that up. I wouldn't doubt that there was a reference or some connection to it because they were big slashers around the same time. Not sure who came first. Um, I'm sure it's very easy to figure that one out. But also, it wouldn't be until um, Jason comes over to New Line that they think about doing a mashup. Well, that they actually might be possible. They thought about doing it really early in the in the 80s. About, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger fought each other? Because it would. It would be awesome. And it was. It was pretty good. But it was more of a possibility now when um, the Friday the 13th franchise comes over to New Line and they can better connect those two universes. But anyways, I digress. I hope you all enjoyed this wonderful podcast. I had fun doing it. Hopefully in the future, if I have fans out there, they'll recommend or request a movie that I do the commentary track for, and hopefully I'll have people to do it with. But for starting out, I think I'm doing a decent job. Um... If you do have interest in requesting a movie for a commentary track on, or if you want to do one as well, or both, um, just hit me up, message me, tweet me, I don't know, do all that shit. Because that would be really cool. I I love interacting with people, and I like doing it from a distance. (laughs) No, but seriously, if you want to sit down and watch a movie with me, that would be the perfect thing to do. Um so I hope you guys enjoyed this and you all have a wonderful evening peace